All right, let's open our Bibles this morning. We're continuing our studies in the life of David. Our text this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 26. We're going to look at that entire chapter, verses 1 through 25. The topic we're going to find there is this. David and Abishai come out of their wilderness hiding place and walk right into the camp of King Saul. The title of our message, Two Wild and Courageous Guys. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here to this place today. I pray that our hearts would be open to your Holy Spirit taking the Word of God uh, and uh, revealing Jesus to us, showing us His love and grace, His mercy and forgiveness, challenging us as well, Lord, so that we would uh, go about following you and being the witnesses that uh, you desire us to be and have empowered us to be. Uh, Lord, uh, whatever insights come from this passage, I pray that they would come from you directly to us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wilderness survival seems popular these days. A recent article in USA Today stated, and I quote, based on the mushrooming number of survival type shows on cable, we're either in a world of hurt or we should know how to prepare for one. You can tune in to watch Man vs. Wild with Bear Grylls. Les Stroud hosts Survivor Man. Dual Survivor follows Dave Canterbury and Cody London as they are dropped into scenarios that they say could happen to anyone. Man Woman Wild is unique in that it features a married couple. Michael Hawk, a a former special services uh, survival expert, and his wife Ruth England, a TV journalist. Together, they take on some of the most forbidding and remote locations in the world. Survival TV has also shifted to urban settings. The Colony is a controlled experiment to see exactly what it would take to survive and rebuild under extreme urban circumstances. Survival shows are about to get weirder. According to this USA Today article, currently under development, Life After an Alien Invasion, a potential series for the National Geographic Channel. I can't wait for that. Now, we're studying the life of David. He finds himself in the wilderness in a survival situation. Verse 2, Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. It wasn't a rescue operation. Uh, He was seeking to kill him. What survival technique would David use in the wilderness of Ziph? Well, drop down to verse 6 momentarily. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruai, a brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Instead of avoiding the danger, David approached it, walking right into it, inviting two of his men to come along for the lesson. As is so much in the Old Testament, this is an illustration for us of our Christian life. Because we are on our way to heaven looking for the city whose builder and maker is God, the world is a wilderness to us and thus filled with spiritual danger. Our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, invites us every day to walk with Him right into that danger. If we want to survive, we'll need to understand the lesson and the lecture that we find in this passage. I'll therefore organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, You need to learn the wilderness lesson that was taught to Abishai. And number two, you need to deliver the wilderness lecture that was told to Abner. 
Let's take a uh, uh, look first of all at Abishai in verses 1 through 12. And I'll warn you right now that I'm going to butcher his name. I, I, I made a commitment to myself to try and do better on uh, actual Hebrew pronunciation, not just however I want to pronounce it. Uh, and so for years I've called this guy Abishai because that makes sense to me. But I got on my computer and I hit that little button, you know, on the Hebrew pronunciation site and the guy comes on and says, Abishai. And so, you know, uh, so I believe that his name is pronounced Abishai. I may say Abishai or I may say, I don't know what I might say, but anyway, it's the same guy. Now, not only does David walk right into danger, right into the enemy's encampment, he and his man have a long conversation there while Saul and his men are sleeping. It's the Holy Spirit's way of telling us that there is a lesson for us. It's an unusual situation. It's something you wouldn't do. You wouldn't walk right up to him and say, well, what do you think? Should we kill him? Or, you know, I mean, you'd, you'd want to be a little bit more stealthy than that. Later on, you find out that the Lord had put them into a deep sleep, but I'm not sure David and uh, Abishai knew that. But at any rate, it's, it's telling us that this is, this is a picture uh, in, in that David is going to be a type for us of Jesus teaching us how to survive in the wilderness, which is this fallen world in which we live as we are on our way home. Now, so back to verse 1. Let's start from the beginning. Now, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakila opposite Jeshimon. Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. This is the second time the men of Ziph tried to aid Saul by giving him intel regarding David's whereabouts. And so apparently these guys watched David very carefully. People are always watching you, always watching you. Non-believers seem especially intent on observing your life for flaws and failures so they can give a negative report. The goal is to be like perhaps Daniel in the Old Testament, who when his enemies were watching him, he could only be faulted for his devotion to the Lord. When you do fail, it gives opportunity to show grace and the mercy of the Lord as he forgives you and cleanses you. Uh, none of us like to fall and fail uh, when we do and we feel our testimony has been ruined. The best thing to do is what we'll see David do later on in his life. Get back up, repent, confess your sin, uh, go on with your walk with the Lord. Because, you know, people, sure, they're, they're wanting you to fall, sometimes wanting you to fail. Uh, but there is something about the grace and the mercy of God that they don't understand as well. How that the Lord can still love you and use you uh, and, and work in you even after a failure ministers to many people. And so at any rate, people are watching you. Verse 3, And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakilah, which is opposite Jeshimon by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. It's uh, interesting that David stayed in the wilderness, even though he saw that Saul had come there looking for him. You would think immediately that he would uh, run and go somewhere else. He stayed in the wilderness and so should we. As believers, we have our camp, as it were, in the wilderness. It, it's the church and it's our fellowship with one another. From it, we venture out each day into the world, to our jobs, to our schools, to wherever God has assigned us. It's why believers have adopted the phrase, we are in the world, but not of the world. Uh, and so David stayed here because really it's a type of the fact that there's no place else for us to go. Well... You know, there are, there are those who do uh, favor a, like a separatism or a 
communal living. They, they want to go live up in the hills all by themselves with a, a few other people, that kind of a thing. But, you know, the Lord uh, hasn't called us to that kind of separation. He's left us as salt and light in the world. The world's a tough place. It's going to get tougher. Uh, but he's left us here so that we can have a positive testimony and show the grace and the mercy of the Lord. Verse 4, David therefore sent out spies. He understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp and the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of Zeruai, the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. Facing a force five times larger than his own, David decides to not just stay, but to approach the enemy in his own camp. He doesn't just stay in his own wilderness camp. He goes into the camp of Saul. Of interest to us is that he invited two of his men to join him. One of them hung back while the other immediately accompanied him. Ahimelech hanging back represents a person we might label a closet Christian, for lack of a better word. They want to fly under the radar, not really taking any risks out in the world. They aren't really proactive in showing or sharing their faith. I'm not suggesting that such a person is not a Christian, uh, but they're just really not uh, on board with letting people know they're Christians. They don't want to carry their Bible. They don't want to wear anything that would uh, resemble uh, you know, Christianity. They just want to do their job, live their life, uh, and, and that kind of a thing. If that describes you, then ask the Lord to baptize you with His Holy Spirit. Ask him and keep on asking him to give you the boldness to be his witness and then watch what happens. Read the book of Acts and see what a vibrant Christian ought to be about. And it isn't always that, that you know, Peter and the boys went out on missions trips or evangelizing. Uh, they didn't know what to do. They had no plan whatsoever. But God did things in them and through them after he had filled them with his spirit. People came up to them and said, what, what's going on in your life? I see something different about your life than other lives. Uh, you know, and and uh, how is that possible? And uh, you, you become a witness as people draw it out of you, really. Uh, and so ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit and to be his witness. Don't be a Himelech. Abishai did not hesitate to follow David. He's who we want to be in this story. And so in verse 7, So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hands this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. Well, that's the way I'd have seen it. That makes sense to me. Uh, you're walking with David. David had an opportunity to kill Saul once before, but he said, I can't raise my hand against God's anointed. Now here's a second opportunity. Uh, and uh, Abishai says, look, I know you're not going to do it, but uh, this must be from God. Just analyze the circumstances for a minute. Saul, spear, head, I mean, you know, uh, uh, one blow, that's all I ask. 
Ah, but there's also a spiritual way of approaching this situation, and that is what David will teach Abishai. Faith isn't foolish. It isn't a leap in the dark. But neither does it follow the wisdom of this world. There's always something more going on in your circumstances. God is working in you to make you more like Jesus. Your circumstances are designed to draw out spiritual responses using spiritual resources, not fleshly, worldly ones. God doesn't put you in a situation to see how smart you are, but rather to see how submissive you've become. And so Abishai, he means well, but he didn't learn the lesson the first time. David in the cave says, I'm not going to kill Saul. You can't raise your hand against God's anointed. And when his men offered to do it, he uh, stopped them from doing it. Now here's Abishai saying, well, no, this, look at the circumstances. This is tailor-made. And David says, no, we don't look at circumstances. We live above them. Verse 9, but David said to Abishai, don't destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And so lesson one, behavior should be determined by belief. Because David knew that Saul was still God's anointed king, he knew that he should not kill him. That could never be God's will. It could never be God's will for David to kill Saul in order to become king. And David had that settled in his heart and no circumstance was going to change that. No opportunity, and now he's had at least two, was going to change that. He, his behavior was completely determined by what he believed. Verse 10, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he'll go out to battle and perish. Lesson two, God is over all circumstances. He is sovereign and accomplishes his will through them by his divine providence. My part, therefore, is to submit to him within circumstances that I find myself in. In other words, if my analysis is unbiblical, it's wrong. And so I I look at the circumstance, I come to a biblical conclusion based on what I believe, and then I submit to God in those circumstances. Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. The Lord forbid can be uh, understood in two ways. It obviously means that the Lord had forbid that David or anyone else strike Saul. It was something that the Lord forbid. And therefore, because of that, God forbid, we would say, that I would do something that the Lord has forbid. Uh, There's no way around it. Thus, lesson three is to always agree with God, no matter the cost. And you see, when we start talking about living by belief and submitting to our circumstances, we get to where it's going to cost something. There's a sacrifice involved. What would be the cost of David living by principle, submitting to God in his circumstances and agreeing with him? Well, he would continue to be hunted down as a fugitive in the wilderness. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, let's not kill Saul. One day he'll die of natural causes or he'll go out to battle and be killed. Uh, You know, God has that under control. Let's just go back to our encampment and tomorrow morning be hunted down like animals again for however long that's going to be. 
going from cave to cave, city to city, being betrayed by people. Even the people who want to be on our side have to betray us, otherwise Saul will kill them. We have no one in the world. We're pursued by a vastly superior fighting force of our brothers who we don't even really want to kill. It was a great cost to David. It would have been so easy to turn the... Maybe not even say anything. You know how it is. You know... Abishai says, look, there's the spear, there's the head, let me kill him. David could have turned away and acted like he didn't hear him. Walked away, oh, excuse me for a minute, I have to, I have to go over here. Oh, what did you do? Oh, my goodness, you killed Saul, oh, well. I mean, there are a lot of different things, but David was proactive. He says, no, 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 we, we can't kill Saul. Don't you understand? God has forbidden it. And, and, and we're going to submit to God... And that means we're going to be continued to, uh, to be hunted down, I don't know for how long, maybe for a day, maybe for a month, maybe for ten more years. But that's the cost of doing business with God. Circumstances and natural wisdom said, pick up the spear and kill him. If we allow circumstances and our own wisdom to dictate our behavior, we'll always go off the rails. We seem to better our situation for a time but we end up ruining ourselves spiritually. Maybe you're in a desperate or depressing situation. Maybe it's your marriage, for example. Do you have biblical grounds for a divorce, adultery, or abandonment? If not, then you should just quit thinking about murdering your marriage. Believe God. Submit to His will. Agree with Him. Let Him mature and grow you within it. The same could be said of your Maybe another family situation if you're a person under authority in a home or uh, where you work. Again, there are extenuating circumstances. If you're, a, for example, I, I feel like I always have to say this because people misunderstand, but if you're a wife in an abusive situation, no one's telling you to stay and be abused. There are other resources available. No one should stay in a physically or sexually abusive situation. Sure, if you're at work, you can change jobs. No one, no one is saying that you could never change jobs or promote or move to a different city or any of those things. But that can't be your first reaction. You have to at least think, okay, Lord, is this really what you have? This is what my circumstances say. But I don't really know if that would be better for me over there. I don't know if that city or that place or that job, I don't know what would be best for me. I really don't. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, just on a practical level, how many people have said, well, you know, I'm in a dead-end job, so I'm going to go over here and take this job, and then two months later, that company shuts down, or they fire you because you're the last one hired, you know, and you think, wow, I was actually better off here, at least I had a job. And so, you just don't know, and so, you, you can't just look at your circumstances and say, well, there's a spear. I'm going to grab the spear and take matters into my own hands. No. You need to wait on the Lord and let him lead. And so in verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. No man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep. A deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. The Lord is in control of that whole circumstance. David doesn't know it, but he is. Taking the spear and the jug showed that David was the truly victorious person in this story. He could easily have killed Saul, but instead he spared him in submission to God. Jesus can easily deliver you from your circumstances. In fact, this is some, just to be honest, since we're friends, this is one of the things that kind of bums me out sometimes. I, I talk to the Lord and I say, Lord, I love, thank you for these circumstances. They're tailor-made for me. I understand all that. 
but I know you could get me out of this if you wanted to. You, this could end now. Whatever it is, the Lord could take care of it through a healing, through some help, through some... So Lord, you know, how about now? And then a few minutes later, it's now? And, and, and you know, but that's the truth. The Lord could absolutely deliver you from that circumstance. If he doesn't, then it must be because he wants you to be victorious in it by acting and reacting spiritually the way a person filled with the Holy Spirit can and ought to. And that brings us to verses 13 through 25. You need to deliver the wilderness lecture that was told to Abner. Abner was King Saul's commander. He's a guy loyal to the wrong king. He represents non-believers who, in a sense, are loyal to the wrong king. Satan is called in the New Testament the prince of the power of the air and the god of this world. Non-believers are described as being taken captive by him to do his bidding. Now, that doesn't mean they are possessed. It just means their possessions and their position and their passions are manipulated by the devil in order to keep them serving self rather than seeking Jesus. And so in verse 13, now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. We stand on a hill too. It's Calvary. It's the place where our Lord was crucified for us that we might be free from the penalty and punishment of our sins. It's a place of empowering from where we speak the truth of the Word of God. Essentially what we're going to have here is a lecture, a sermon we would say, exposing Abner as lost. And like all men, he had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then we see that Abner failed in his primary purpose of guarding the king. Apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you cannot help but ultimately fail in life. I was listening to somebody the other day on the radio. I'm not sure who it was or it might have been a tweet that came through as a quote. Something along the lines of this person wished that everybody in the world could get everything they always wanted so that they would realize that it wasn't satisfying that it wasn't enough apart from Jesus Christ. That's essentially what happens to uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. That's why that book exists. Solomon did everything anybody would ever want to do. He had everything anybody would ever want to have. He experienced everything that anybody would ever want to experience. And at the end he said, it's all just vanity without a relationship with God. Uh, and so Abner... He was a very successful general uh, charged with protecting the king and he failed. You'll never fulfill your purpose until you come to the Lord. He says, David does one of the people came in to destroy your Lord, the king. All it takes is one believer walking by faith with the Lord to defeat the enemy right in the stronghold of his encampment. If you feel alone, outnumbered, overmatched, think of David and Abishai standing right in the midst of 3,000 armed, hostile enemies and taking that spiritual victory away from them. Verse 16, this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Not only do we deserve to die, 
We are born dead in our trespasses and sins, but the Lord lives and he is not willing any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. David is just delivering the gospel to these guys. It's the ultimate wilderness survival to come to Christ before it's too late. When looking at types and illustrations in the Bible, it's important we don't press them too far. While we can understand the picture of Abner as a non-believer in the camp of the wrong king, Saul is not really a type of Satan for us. He too is a person needing to hear the word and get it together. And so beginning in verse 17, then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant, If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David. I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Now, we've shown before why we think Saul was a believer, only one who was totally backslidden and in his flesh. Here he vacillates again. It seems like he's repenting, but we know that there's no real heart intent for him to follow the Lord. This is insincere repentance. David knows it. Everyone knows it. And that's why David doesn't come down into the camp. Verse 22, And David answered and said, Here's the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. Now think about that for a minute. David had the spear and the jug of water. Why give back the thing that seemed most dangerous in the hands of Saul and withhold a jug of water? This was the spear that Saul had thrown at David many, many times in the past. And maybe not the exact one, but it represented that. You remember as this story began early on, Saul had a problem and he would throw spears at people. And and David would soothe him by playing music, but as time went on, he started to try to pin David to the wall. And so David's going to give him his spear back. Well, for one thing, it showed Saul that the real weapons of warfare are not carnal. David didn't fear Saul's spear. It's like the time David faced off against Goliath and said to him, You come to me with sword and spear and with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel. It's the same kind of thing. It's a token that, Saul, I don't fear your spear. Spears mean nothing to me because I know that you can't kill me unless God gives you the permission to do it. Even though I have to run for my life and take reasonable measures, even though I'm not coming down into your camp, it's not the spear that I fear. It's the Lord. Now, for another thing, it showed Saul what he really needed, what he truly lacked. He didn't really need his spear. It was no good to him. What he needed was the life-giving water of the Spirit of God. And that's what David kept. It represented that that's what he was filled with, that that's what he owned, as it were. And so he withheld what Saul really needed, seeing if he was thirsty for it, given back his spirits of no consequence. David had other weapons of his own, spiritual weapons, which could not be overcome. And we see three of them in the closing verses. Verse 23... May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son, David, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Now, David's spiritual weapons were righteousness, faithfulness and compassion. I might not know righteousness was a spiritual weapon except for 2 Corinthians 6 verse 7, which says uh, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Righteousness, which means just doing right, is a weapon. And thus, when David did the right thing, he disarmed his opponent and opened a way for him to see his need for God and eternal life. And so someone wrongs you. Someone is against you and you just do what is right. And God says it's a spiritual weapon that disarms that person. Faithfulness is another spiritual characteristic David listed, and it too can be a weapon. David's faithfulness to follow the Lord exposed Saul's unfaithfulness and at least for a moment brought him near to repentance. In verse 24, David said that Saul's life was valued much this day in his eyes. He saw Saul and was moved with compassion in that he understood Saul was an eternal person with a destiny and final destination. He was willing to lay down his own life or at least put it at risk for the sake of giving Saul further opportunity to get right with God. And so David said, I see you. I have pity on you the way the Lord has pity on me. The way God is moved with compassion for the entire human race, I'm not going to kill you because the Lord's not willing that you would perish, but that you would come to repentance. Now, Christians have had to survive in the wilderness of this world for centuries. As we read in the book of Hebrews concerning those who've come before us, this famous passage in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just read you a few verses. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of men like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the enemy. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That's our spiritual heritage. We survive in the wilderness of this world by learning the lessons Jesus teaches and by lecturing to others by word and example that they too can be on their way to heaven to the city whose builder and maker is God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, Abishai and the lessons that he learned. Thank you for David and the lecture that he gave. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would understand your grace and mercy and that we would uh, be about the business of just living the Christian life, just being natural about the supernatural hope that is in us, letting folks know that we're saved, talking about the things that really move us, Lord and really motivate us and that are the things of, of your word and of your kingdom and that uh, Lord you continue to fill us with your spirit baptize us with your spirit so that we would Lord see the 
wonderful effect in the lives of others that we love. And I pray that we would not live under our circumstances, but be above them, that we'd have conversations about them, Lord, live by the way we believe, submitting to you at whatever cost, knowing that ultimately we will be rewarded and that we're in great company with the saints. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.